Come on, why don't you be seated? We're going to press into his word and let him speak to us what he desires to say. Uh, I Maybe this week, more than most, I have come face to face with the reality that we all tend to hear through our filter, the filter of our experience, uh, the filter of our predetermined conclusions. Right now, you've got a filter on, and uh, we all do, and the Lord wants to open that up so that the biggest filter we carry is, a dis- is the filter of discernment. Is it right? Is this of the Lord? Is this of the Spirit? Uh, I'm just going to tell you, I was, I don't know what a good word for it is. I was a little disheartened this week. I heard of a conversation between a mom who attends our church and a mom who attends another church. Um, you'd know the church if I said it. They're known. But the conversation and interaction was mind-boggling to me because uh, the mom who attends our church was just having a conversation about children. And the other mom said, um, yeah, well, you know, when my, when my daughter was early teen, we immediately put her on birth control because we don't want her to get pregnant. And, and I make sure she has condoms because I don't want her to get a disease. And, and the mom from here was a little shocked at this conversation, <clears throat> you know, two Christian women having a conversation. And the mom from here said, well, you know, what about promoting the idea of abstinence? Because you don't get pregnant, you don't get diseases if you, you know, are abstinent, right? <clears throat> to which the other mom cackle, heckle, laughed at the outrageous idea that anybody in today's modern day society would believe in the idea of abstinence. And I mean, I, I really, I've been a little shaken by it just from a perspective of, of course, a dad with two daughters uh, that are, you know, now in college and, and thinking that is so much the prevailing idea of society is the philosophy of the world. And even among two people who would be, you know, a, I'm a believer in Jesus. And, and the idea of Scripture, I mean, here's the bottom line. A lot of Christians today don't let the Bible get in the way of what they've decided to believe. And maybe that's more so in all of us than any of us realize. And so I want to talk to you today as we address the issue of what it is to be spiritually well, uh, to understand that God's Word, ladies and gentlemen, must have pole position in our lives as the ultimate source of authority that defines our parenting, that defines our dating, that defines our marriages, that defines our church life, that defines our work life. We need the Spirit of God illuminating the Word of God so that we might become the sons and daughters of God that He's called us to be in the earth with undivided affection, completely devoted to Him regardless of what the world's philosophies may be around us. So today, my address is dealing with what it is to be mobilized as the church and awake in the Spirit. Mobilized and awake. We're talking about being spiritually well. When you are spiritually well, something is taking place within you that actually has the power to transform the world. 
Are you processing what I'm saying? Are you listening to what the Lord's trying to reveal in this moment together? When you are spiritually well, spiritually alive, you've given your life to Christ, you're surrendered to the agenda and the heart of God as a lifestyle on a daily basis. Nobody's perfect at this, but we're all, you know, diving deeper into what it means to walk with him. But when you are in that place truly being spiritually well, then something takes place within you that has the power to cast the mountain aside, that has the power to calm the storm, that has the power to change the circumstance, that has the power to transform your world. These are the sons and daughters of God that the Bible describes, regardless of how we've brought it down to, to get our theology down to where our lifestyle exists. Come on, we need to bring our lifestyle up to where our theology exists and get this thing right as much as we possibly can. And that means we're going to have to address some of the worldly philosophies that have crept into our mindset, much like what I'm describing to you. But I want to just point this out from an Acts chapter 8 perspective, verses 1 to 4. And let's allow the power of God's Word to permeate us. I, I'm learning this myself as we're reading Scripture. But what, what I don't want to do is give you verses and then come up with enlightening and inspiring and attractive ways to make it appealing to you. Let's believe God's Word for the power of God's Word as we read God's Word. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Therefore, verse 4, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were persecuted were now beginning to preach. Those that were suffering a disruption to the rhythm of the church didn't back away from being the church because the rhythm was disrupted. They pressed in deeper to becoming everything God had designed them to become. And I want to challenge you to know this, that we would give some consideration to the fact that when disruption came to the pattern of the church in the days of the book of Acts, the people went about preaching and the kingdom of God began to expand. You and I have experienced a disruption to the pattern of the church within the last year of our lives in a major way by a worldwide pandemic. And what we have learned is the church was by and large not spiritually well, did not press in and see the kingdom of God expand, but rather in many ways we retreated into a, a lifestyle that perpetuated something that is not spiritual spiritually powerful. I thought you'd really love that point. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we have to embrace the truth and the reality of our situation. What we figured out in the modern day church world, particularly in the West, because we work with churches in a number of different parts of the world now, but what we figured out in the, in the West is that we as the church are much better at gathering crowds than we have been at making disciples. And when the crowd gathering was disrupted, rather than the disciples rising up in power in a time of disruption to that rhythm, growing deeper in the word, getting in deeper places of prayer, ministering to those around them who were in a state of need, many of the Christians of our modern day generation shrunk back, calmed down, and lessened their expanse and their reason. Listen, this wasn't what happened in Acts chapter 8. They didn't say, we're under persecution, now let's make sure we're protecting ourselves. We have to be very concerned about the persecution. They went out and they preached the gospel and the kingdom of God expanded. 
That's what the church does under pressure. We produce spiritual diamonds. That's the body of Christ according to the word of God. Pressure produces spiritual diamonds when we are spiritually well. Do you believe that? The Bible actually says in in Exodus, the more they were persecuted, the more they multiplied and spread. I love that verse. You and I were built for the storm. You and I were designed to convert pain and persecution into purpose and promise and the expansion of God's kingdom. That is our design from God Almighty. He's a God who dies on the cross and bleeds every ounce of blood out of his body and comes back to life three days later. And the cross that used to be this symbol of shame suddenly becomes ornate jewelry that we wear around our necks to say we believe in Jesus. Do you understand? He transforms shame into an expression of power and an expression of hope. This is how he works in all of our circumstances. Now hear what the heart of the Lord is in what I'm saying. This is not a, you know a spiritual slap in the face, but maybe it's more of a spiritual kick in the behind. How many of you need, some of y'all were worried about what I was going to say right then, but <laughs> Christians around the world in many ways wasted the pressure that came from the challenges of covid And instead of purposefully growing stronger in the word and in prayer, many drifted into a state of spiritual slumber. Netflix, gaming, all kinds of things to medicate the frustration, the disappointment. it, it, It began to produce within us something that was less spiritually strong, not something that was more spiritually strong. A huge shift has taken place. And I believe in many ways the church has become spiritually lethargic. Christians have embraced a new normal, a way of being less engaged and a way of being less connected as a new normal for us spiritually. And I just want to say I'm very thankful for our online uh, campus, for our online family, for everybody who works to make this happen, for our camera team, our tech team, and, and they rarely get any you know, appreciation unless something goes wrong and then we all feel it's our great spiritual responsibility to look back and see you know, who's, who's got a problem back then. So can we just take a moment and just say thank you to everybody who's working so hard in the studio, in the back, behind the wall, everybody who's working so hard. We so value everybody working to make this everything God would desire for it to be. That being said, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm speaking to those of you who are in person in the building. I'm speaking directly to those of you who are online with us right now. Convenience of church in your pajamas should never be the reason that you stop gathering as the body of Christ. Should never be the reason. I don't know, I can't hear if anybody online's clapping, but here there are a few. I want to say it again. Convenience of gathering online in your pajamas should never be the reason that you devote yourself to 
being online. You know, if you feel the call to online ministry, it's a very different thing than just migrating to the convenience of just watching church on TV. Uh, I, I think this is an important message that needs to be heard in the body of Christ, particularly in this hour where we're paying attention. Because if you do feel called to online ministry, I want you to know we believe in online ministry. Uh, we have families that there's no way they could attend our church. A lot of families come from the military because we're right here by um, the base. And then uh, they get commissioned out. We call them missionaries at the government's expense where they get commissioned out from here to various places all around the world to go and just share the love and the life of Jesus. We want to do the best we can at, at, at inspiring and empowering every person in this place. And then many times they're online from Iraq when they're deployed. and I mean, all kinds of crazy places, and we're so thankful for that. And you might feel called to online ministry. But let's be clear. There's a difference between online ministry as a convenience and online ministry as a call. And if you feel called to online ministry, then I want to say to you, contribute to actually online ministry. Let's make disciples together. Right now is a great opportunity. You can just text destiny to a number that's going to pop up on the screen. You can let Dana, our online director, know, I want to be a part of contributing to this. I want to, I want to contribute to the conversation right now that's going on. Uh, right now, you can digitally say amen uh, online. I mean, you can welcome somebody who's coming online, and you can say, hey, it's great to, to, uh, to have you on here today. You're beginning to minister to people online. Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying? I mean, there's a big distinction in these two. You can actually lead an online community group. Get involved and answer the call of God. Let's move from just this reducing to a state of convenience to really understanding our call. Listen carefully. And, and this is where I want to just really start to stab at the very heart of something that I feel is very damaging in the, in the world of, of, uh, of faith of our generation. Because in many ways, the church has slowly fallen asleep while society is growing woke. You may not know that term. I had a few people say, I don't, I've not heard woke. You need to look this up. <laughs> you need to understand what this is. Because it is a, um, it's a basis of ideology that exists in our society that's more socialist and Marxist. This is the origin of it, the basis of it, than anything else. And sometimes we just need to address things like this. We, we say all the time, we will never be cause-centered because there's not room for causes when Christ is the big center. We'll always be Christ-centered, not cause-centered. It's very important that we understand that. And because of that, I'm not on a campaign or a mission to try and slaughter some ideology as a, as a cause. But when it starts to tamper with the very throne of Jesus Christ, then the church has a great responsibility to step up and to rise up and make a declaration. Jesus needs to be at the center of all this. So I'm just going to speak into this a bit today. Progressive Christianity of our day progressive Christianity of our day works to accommodate everybody's perspective except for God's. And that's a problem. Call it what you want, but I'll tell you, it's a problem. In a day when so many challenges have come, 
You and I need to be firm in our faith and established in God's word regardless of what the sociological ideologies of our day may be today, were yesteryear, or are coming tomorrow. God's word is true and we will not abandon what God's word has to say about the way we walk this out. That's where the online community types in applause, applause, applause. I'm just helping you know how to contribute online. The cultural narrative of our day is trending against faith and is trending against freedom. And it's pretty important that we understand this. You know, we want to celebrate all that God is doing. And I want to make sure that I communicate this to you because here we are a week away from uh, July 4th where we're celebrating the freedom we have as a nation and we are deeply grateful to be Christian Americans. And I want to make sure we understand there's a difference between a Christian American and an American Christian. And the difference is your citizenship in heaven must be your first form of identity above all else. There's no room for nationalism in the kingdom of God because our citizenship of every nation is in heaven when we know Jesus Christ. How am I doing? You okay? So it's important that we get that. So, so don't forget, we want, to, we want you to be the ministers in the kingdom of God. So next week, on July 4th, we're not going to meet in this room. We're going to mobilize you to meet around your table. Probably by Friday, we're going to have this message uh, for that Sunday morning on uh, the website and available. Watch your app. Download the Destiny OKC app. Watch our social media. We'll be posting about it, uh, but it'll be available for you. And it's a brief message, about 12 to 14 minutes, because the focus is not for you to listen to a sermon I want to share, but rather it's for you to get your instructions around the table with your friends and family and be the ministers and really allow the Lord to minister to you as you read Scripture and talk about it. There are four questions we want to ask you to, and this is going somewhere long term for us, by the way, so please pay attention to this and don't just sweep it by, oh, well, we have the weekend off. I'm really trying to mobilize people to understand the power of the table <laughs> and get people around the table, have a conversation around the Word, and I believe you can experience the presence of God and the voice of the Father in a profound and significant way. How many of you believe that? So please plan for that uh, one week from today. And, and I know that with the rain and everything going tonight, you know, it's our destiny celebration. We've got baptisms planned. Our, our youth just came back from camp. Our kids just came back from camp. Um, we are going to be meeting. Those of you that were in the 9 o'clock, I, 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 I'm saying something slightly different than uh, I did then, so kind of erase that moment. Uh, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to meet at 6 o'clock, and we are going to have worship and baptism in this room. It's going to happen inside rather than outside. We're paying attention to the uh, fireworks company to determine whether or not all the outside activities are going to be going on, but we are going to meet here to worship. How many of you believe we ought to just press in and worship the Lord, rain or shine? We've got an opportunity to press in. We want to do that in here. So plan to come back at 6, and then hopefully the rain will clear and the fireworks will go off at dark and uh, all the food trucks and, you know, everything that we had planned outside, we're just having to pay attention to that. Even bouncy houses in the mud, uh, we're having to think about how we're going to manage all of that. I don't have the answers for that. Uh, but I do know we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to see people be baptized in water this evening, and then we'll take it from there. So 
recognize this, the cultural narrative is trending against our faith and against our freedom, and we as believers must wake up. We have so pollinated our theology with worldly philosophy (laughs) that we don't even know where our theology ends and our philosophy begins. Woke Christianity, progressive Christianity, enlightened Christianity, all of this is just about tolerance instead of repentance Christianity, and we're not going to have anything to do with tolerance instead of repentance Christianity. Jesus is Lord, his word is true, and that is where we stand. We draw a line there. Otherwise, what we're doing is allowing the world to determine the pattern of our lives and the pattern of our worship and the pattern of our faith and the pattern of our conclusions. And I, I, cannot, ex- I cannot say to you enough how dangerous this is. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Lord, would you help us to understand what you were awakening in Paul's heart to write to the Roman church when he wrote by inspiration from God in heaven, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Jesus' mighty name. You and I, what this is saying to us is you and I should not just be hearing what everybody else is hearing and responding like everybody else is responding. We should get with God and discern that which is true and that which is false. Can I just get an amen? A good old-fashioned hanky wave would be great right about here. I mean, we, we really need to understand what it is just to get with God and let Him be the determinant of what it is that we've chosen to believe and, and embrace and express and perpetuate. When we're spiritually awake, our perspective is influenced by things that we see in the Spirit. And this speaks of the transformed mind. You understand, there's a difference. Being woke is this embracing a perspective that's conformed to the world, influenced by these carnal attitudes and pursuits, and it starts to cause other ideologies and and perspectives to emerge that, uh, again, are more cause-centered than they are Christ-centered. And let me just communicate something. I think it's really important that we recognize this. But in Jesus' days, his disciples wrestled with this same type of concept and idea. In fact, it was their political concern and their cultural rhetoric that caused them to say to Jesus, is it time now for you to overthrow the Roman government? You understand? This this was their question to Jesus. After all, he was a descendant of this great military leader, King David. The Messiah had come. They believed. They understood. And they were under the oppression of the Roman government. And so all of their, their whole idea was wrapped up in this political concern and this cultural rhetoric that they'd bought into. And they said, Jesus, is it time? You're going to overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus said, I'll have nothing to do with this, this type of concern you're expressing, this type of rhetoric you're bringing, because the kingdom of God is not about jostling with and wrestling with anything in the natural. It's about addressing that which is in the spiritual because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against these rulers and these authorities and these high places and these vain imaginations that are knowledge that are set up against the knowledge of God. (laughs) 
The church has slowly embraced so many toxic perspectives that originated with people who don't follow Jesus, who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in God's Word, who don't have the Spirit of God, who aren't perpetuating the truth that comes from God. You as Christians who have the Spirit of God should not be following people and perpetuating their agenda as if you're an evangelist of theirs when they don't even have the Spirit of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's so vital that we understand this as the church. If we're not careful, then we're standing in this stream, this river, and the current starts getting stronger and stronger. The world's current gets stronger. If we're not careful, we just pick up our feet and we get swept downstream in the mindset of the world, and then that becomes normal, and we're, we're laughing at the idea of abstinence. We're laughing at other ideas that the Bible clearly describes because surely if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to believe a certain way that the world believes because this is nice. Jesus did not get crucified because he loved the poor and because he picked up his feet and got swept downstream with everybody else. Jesus got crucified because he was politically incorrect and unbending when it came to truth and so should we be. We, we get this picture and we see these photos and like Jesus was this effeminate sheep stroker that was just, you know, always walking around seeking for human harmony and world peace. And that is not, the, that's not the Jesus I serve. The Jesus I serve, he walked in and kicked over tables and wove a whip and he sometimes called order in very uncomfortable places, even if it cost him his life and it did cost him his life. We must be unbending when it comes to truth. But I really want you to hear me when I say this. We can be unbending without being unloving, and we can be unbending without being unkind. We need to have deep, deep sense of conviction. I, I don't know that I can say it correctly. In my time of prayer this morning, uh, I felt the Lord saying this to me. I wrote it down, I didn't put it in my notes. But I, I understand now it actually ties in. And just in prayer, I just felt like the Lord was saying, there's a difference between our preferences and our convictions. And the problem is we galvanize our preferences as if they are convictions. And we minimize our convictions as if they're preferences. And if you don't understand the difference... You'll live your life in a state of confusion, and the world's seducing philosophies will cause you to think in a certain way that you will hear what I'm saying today and dismiss every single bit of it as if I'm old-fashioned or whatever you want to say. But the Bible very clearly says that the carnal mind resists the things of the Spirit and considers them foolish. Don't be deceived. It is interesting to me in the Old Testament. Have you read this? You know, like in the Old Testament, if you obey, you'll be blessed. Have you read that? It's just it's incredible. If you disobey, you're in big trouble. But if you'll obey, you'll be blessed. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament. He reverses that order. Have you ever noticed this? He says, if you obey and follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Many of you are going to die. What happened? Like, what happened to the Old Testament stuff about obedience and blessed? And now, like, pursue you and I'm going to be persecuted 
Let me just explain something. It's very important that you understand this. In 1 John chapter 4, it speaks of the spirit of Antichrist that is at work in the world. And the closer we get to the end times, whatever your end times eschatological conclusions are, that's, that's none of uh, my concern right now. But the closer we get to the end times and Jesus is going to come back, the spirit of Antichrist will continue to grow stronger. That's why the reversal of order from the Old Testament, obey and be blessed, to the New Testament, follow me, you'll be persecuted. Notice it's not a spirit of anti-religion, it's a spirit of anti-Christ. Because there will be an apostate religion that will emerge according to the word of God in the last days that will embrace all the seducing philosophies of society. But we are not going to do that. We will not be that. I will not stand before God and be judged for that. That's not one of the things that I'm going to answer to God for. Because we are drawing the line in the sand and we will not go down that path. We will stand for what we know God is revealing in his word. And if it, if it brings persecution and disruption to our lives in whatever direction, then so be it. But we are going to stand and honor God no matter what. And, if, and, and that persecution comes from a spirit of antichrist. Until one day the antichrist will actually emerge and the Bible predicts and describes all of this, and we've talked about these things in years past, and maybe we need to revisit them again. I had some people in the church when we started looking at the prophecies in the book of Daniel, how this unfolds, I had some people in the church say, just let me know when you're finished with all that. That stuff scares me to death. I'm not coming back until you're done. I, I think I'd rather know what the Word of God says and to live in a scared-to-death state of mind, and just ignorance is better. I don't, I don't think that's it. The spirit of Antichrist is going to try and sift. So let, my question is, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Are you spiritually well? Can you handle a disruption to your rhythm in a way that actually expands God's kingdom as a result? Whatever that might look like. Are you spiritually well? Are you established in God's word? Turn the page. Get an old-fashioned Bible. Start in the book of Genesis. Don't just do it for you. Do it for the next generation. Do it for the generation after you that will one day hold your Bible in their hand. And they'll see the things that you journal in there. And they'll recognize your heart for God. And it'll inspire them. Start in the book of Genesis. Go all the way through the book of Revelation. Every day, just turn one page. You'll thank me one day for having this tremendous heirloom that you'll place into the hands of your children, your children's children. Are you in the Word? Are you spiritually well? Are you in the Word? Do you understand what it really means to pray? I want you to, to recognize prayer is not grace over a meal. Grace over a meal is a prayer. But prayer is not grace over a meal. Prayer is intercession. Prayer is a list of specific things that you sense from God in this particular season to be targeting prayer and you're making time to declare God's word in those situations and circumstances consistently, tenaciously, constantly coming back into that place of prayer. Prayer is something that you make time for. Are you spiritually well? Is anybody hearing me right now? Is the loving conviction of the spirit of God addressing and arresting anybody's heart in the room? I want to go deeper in what it really means to be spiritually well so that no matter what storm may come my way, my response can be a response of kingdom expression. In other words, the devil might slap you upside the head and God's word just comes out of you every single time. 
Are you in the Word? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you connected to your church family? Have you reduced church to a, a state of convenience? I'm glad you're here. But if you're walking in, sitting down, and listening, and walking out, and you've not found any form of connection or any form of involvement, any form of, of an expression that's more than just showing up and receiving, then you're not understanding what church is about. We're supposed to be a family contributing together to see God's kingdom expand in the earth. Your involvement and your role looks different from anybody else's, but find out what that is. We'll be starting to talk again about Discover Destiny and what that looks like in our back-to-school time, and we'll walk you through uh, gift assessment and recognizing core values and how to find your place and what, you know, a group together. That's going to be great. We're going to do that a few months away, and we'll start announcing it as we walk all that out. But I want to encourage you, begin to pray and ask the Lord, how am I to be connected in my church family? Are you established in the Word? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you connected to your church? And are you serving God's heart as a way of life? Does your worship serve God's heart? Think about that. How many of you, somebody led you in a prayer when you gave your heart to Christ? Can I just see, raise your hand. I don't know if you realize it or not. They gave you words to say. You said the words. Listen, the words didn't save your soul just because you repeated the words didn't make you a Christian if your heart wasn't in it then you didn't give your life to the Lord the words are just the script that you apply your heart to and heaven and earth shifts when you apply your heart to the words and when we're singing these songs you see the script Heaven and earth doesn't shift unless you apply your heart to what we're declaring as a family in our place of worship. Otherwise, it's just words and rhetoric. Are you serving? You, you get it. Are you serving the purposes of God in everything that you're doing? I want to serve the purposes of God in my marriage with my wife. I want to serve the purpose of God in our home by sharing our home with others. I want to serve the purposes of God with my daughters want them to sense the nearness of God as a result of our conversations and sometimes I'm going to blow it and you know act like a total idiot and it happens more times than I wish it did but even those are moments for me to go back and say I'm sorry I want to honor the Lord it's all an opportunity to serve the purposes of God if you'll see it correctly come on let's stand Holy Spirit, help us to discern what you desire for us to comprehend. I pray this week, Lord, that we would follow our action point challenge. You would help each and every one of us purpose very intentional time in your word purpose very intentional time in prayer purpose very intentional time with our church family sharpening each other's iron sharpens iron I pray Lord that our hearts would just be open to what you're desiring to do every single day this week that we would wake up in the morning and not just be consumed with the busyness of our schedule but we would get up early enough to pay attention to what's on your heart 
the course of the day that might actually adjust our schedule. Forgive us where our ambition outruns our anointing. Forgive us where our ambition outruns our anointing. Come on, would you just surrender all of your ambition to the Lordship of Christ? Surrender all of your fortitude to the mantle of God's call, your ability to rally people, to make money, to accomplish goals. Would you just surrender all that to the Lordship of Christ today? Lord, I pray this week we wouldn't live as if there weren't even a Holy Spirit. (laughs) But we would live keenly aware of the voice of the Spirit through the course of the week. We just pray into the atmosphere tonight as we worship. Nothing takes you by surprise. Help us, Lord, to engage on a deeper level exploring and experiencing the very heart of God in powerful, profound, and wonderful ways. We pray for those being baptized, Lord, that as they pass through those waters tonight, that notice would be served on the enemy and their lives would come into a place of greater freedom. Bondages would be broken as they follow you and the example of water baptism and the declaration of the Lordship of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the power of your word. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He lived, he died, he's alive. Jesus is Lord. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus is Lord. You know, if you have a piano, you know that it has to be tuned every once in a while. You know why? Because it goes out of tune. It's just natural for it to go out of tune. Then you got to get it tuned, back in tune. That's, that's kind of spiritually the way it goes with us. We kind of get knocked around a little bit, and we get out of spiritual tune. We come back, and we say, Jesus is Lord. I come back to that once again. I think the Lord's just tuning us up right now. Maybe for some of you, some of you online, some of you in the room, maybe this is a decision you're saying, Jesus is Lord for the first time. You're making that declaration today. But for the rest of us, Jesus is Lord. Let's make that declaration again in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's all say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You came. You lived. You died. But you are alive. You're the Savior of the world. You're my Savior. Be Lord of my life every single day. Take me deeper into an understanding of who you've called me to be. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's worship the Lord for a few moments before we go. Let's bless the Lord our God.